Welcome back to another episode of the Bootstrapped Experience podcast, where Jack and I talk about our lives building bootstrapped apps on Shopify and other things. So, how you been, Jack? Good. Burnt out lately. So, dealing with that. It's been a busy couple of weeks with need A-B testing, and I look forward to talking about that more later. But let's just say like, I've put in a lot of hours. It's been really crazy. Good stuff happening, but I need a break. How about you? Yeah, I can definitely sympathize with that. I think it's hard to keep like motivated all the time, right? And I think especially now with like COVID, maybe not in the same way that you're doing it right now, but just not getting out, not having new experiences, it all feels a bit monotonous in a sense. And I think I've been sort of feeling a bit burnt out for the last sort of six months or so. At the same time, I kind of feel my motivation and my energy coming back. And I think a lot of that's been about building a team around myself in a sense now. And I think that's really helped me get out of this sort of rut that I felt like I've been in. Yeah, well, that's no good. So you've just been spending lots and lots of hours, but not feeling the love at the same time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's interesting what you say about putting a team together around the project, because I think normally what I do is do non-work-related stuff to deal with this. And it's very helpful. I travel, I was doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu before COVID, which was super good for just like getting out there. And now with COVID, you can't travel, you can't do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu for sure. I've probably been coping with it the wrong way, which has been working on other projects and things like that. But I'm still not getting out from behind my computer as much just because there's not as much you can get out and do. I think at the same time, we have to sort of realize it's unprecedented times. Like, I'm sure we're not the only ones feeling this way, where we used to have a lot more, for lack of a better word, like a meaningful life in a sense, right? Than you enjoy getting out and doing jujitsu and traveling. I love traveling as well. And those sort of breaks away from everything that we'd take a couple of times a year sort of helps reset the mind and gives you energy and you get inspired by seeing new things and new cultures and new flavors and tastes and stuff like that, which we're just not getting at the moment. And I think that doesn't help in the burnout. And I'm sure taking on new projects like we're both doing, I guess, at the moment doesn't exactly help that, right? Because we're sort of throwing ourselves into the deep end once again at a time that maybe isn't super normal, right? For sure, yeah. So when I went full-time on need A-B testing is almost three years ago now. Like I made it a big point to like not be in front of a computer all day. So I worked less hours than when I worked a regular job and made it a point to like travel more and do all this stuff. And I think that was kind of like that four-hour work week influence. Not that I've ever unfortunately been able to work a four-hour work week, but like there's like a really good chapter in there that kind of talks about now that you have some extra time and money, like what do you do? So I kind of really was careful to build that stuff in. And yeah, now it's not quite there. Yeah, definitely. It's harder to sort of see the prize for putting in also the risk and everything else in running your own business and quitting your day job and everything else. And I guess for both of us, it's turned out quite well, but like it's still a risk that you take on and you're hoping for a trade-off with your lifestyle, I guess you could say. So you have more time to go travel or to do things away from the computer, hopefully, or at least take your computer with you if you go do stuff. Yeah, and I mean, I love the four-hour work week as well. Very rarely have I ever worked four hours in a week. But it's actually starting to become possible now because the support team's doing so well and we've just got the tier two support up and running now. And they've just like completely taken over even the harder stuff, which has been amazing. Like I'll log in some days and there's nothing for me. And that's just, that hasn't happened in like 10 years, right? <laughs> yeah, so that's been really nice. And now actually I could maybe start looking at like a four-hour work week, but then 
I'm kind of afraid then the whole thing will, I need to keep moving and keep innovating on new stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. But I think taking away those extra things that we were taking the risk because of, we wanted to build in these extra things in our life. And when that's taken away, as privileged as we are, it still feels like hard and it's hard to get the motivation up on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, for sure. And it definitely feels dumb to complain about this stuff because obviously a lot of people are in worse situations now. Yeah, definitely. We are very, very lucky, I think, in a sense. But it doesn't mean that our struggles aren't real either, mental struggles or whatever. The funny thing is, like, such small things can actually have a pretty big impact. Like, in my old office, I used to have on my little whiteboard wall, I'd put, like, Monday is for cleaning up the support inbox and organizing my week. Tuesdays for development, Wednesdays for development, Thursday is for, like, support and help docs and stuff like that. And then Friday is for, like, getting my marketing stuff cleaned out. And I've just finally written that on my new wall a couple of weeks ago. And it's amazing how much easier it is to sit down and get something structured done by just having that written on the wall. Like, oh, today I'm doing this. Because when you're working for yourself, I could do any number of things any day, right? I could sit down and go, oh, today I feel like doing this. But then if you're feeling a bit burnt out or whatever, it's hard to sort of go, oh, well, I should do this. Well, no, maybe I won't. I'll just read another email or scroll Twitter a little bit more or something like that. So that's actually been a really good sort of mental change for me just this these last couple of weeks and just writing that on the wall and trying to stick to it. Because it also sort of helps that I can feel, hey, I'm actually getting time to do some development. I'm spending more and more of my time doing Figma designs and working in Basecamp and organizing things. But it's really nice to sort of have days set aside where this day I do my Basecamp stuff, which is a Monday, and then I actually have time cut out for myself to do these development stuff. Silly little things like that can also help. Yeah, no, that's a really smart idea. And I think that's like part of what is contributing to everything is like I've been spending more time dealing with sort of answering other people's demands. So I haven't had my sort of time to just be productive on my own. It's been very reactive the last couple of weeks as opposed to, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really hard sort of state to stay in for a long time, right? You want to feel like you're in control of your own time. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, not to start on a downer. Yeah, sorry, guys. Yeah, (laughs) no, not to me anyway. I think it's good that we sort of touch on the real topics as well and not just go over like, hey, best of. And yeah, I think that makes sense. On a positive note, I got my bookkeeping done for the year. Nice. That's (laughs) awesome. Yeah. Actually, I should say my wife did most of it. And then I helped out on a few things and answering questions of what the different bills were for and stuff. But she did all the hard work. (laughs) Nice. Is she full-time now? Yeah, she started officially on the 1st of March. Yeah, she has an operation coming up on Monday, so then it's going to put us out for a few weeks and we'll put off all like the main training and everything until after she's sort of back up and running. That's so cool. Though. Give her my congratulations. Yeah, I will, definitely. It's been nice and she's sending off her first mails on behalf of the company and it's been good. She used to do the bookkeeping, like I said, for our old company, so she's been having all like the contact with our accountant and everything else, so... It's been nice just to sort of have somebody else running around after things that I usually have to do. Yeah, that is cool. In my world, that just tends to not get done. If I'm a bottleneck, it just <laughs> like <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So that would be cool. Yeah, definitely. And especially for stuff like accounting, it's not the most exciting thing in the world. I'm not sure how it is for you, but like here in Denmark, I have to do it like twice a year sort of thing because you have a sales tax you have to give in. If you're a large company, you have to do it four times a year. And then you have like an end of year like a proper finishing sort of thing. But yeah, so I usually put it off until those, and then I have like a couple of days where I just go wild on it. 
But now when Sarah's going to be on the team, then she's going to do it like once a week. So we'll be able to follow along also and see, analyze what we're spending money on a little bit more until just the end of the year. And you go, wow, I just spent $20,000 on the intercom this year, or if not more, right? Yeah, thankfully, it's pretty easy here, like just once a year. But it's funny, I've been looking into that situation a little more as I do the billing on Translate CI. Because I know I've mentioned to you, I don't know if I mentioned on the podcast, but me and my wife are moving to Europe this year, at the end of the year. So I'm like already thinking about that tax and that crazy stuff that I've never had to deal with before and trying to make it easy on myself. Well, firstly, yeah, congratulations. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, once COVID lifts up, I'll take a trip over to Amsterdam and say hi. Or vice versa, of course. But yeah, I'm not sure what their taxes are like there. I'm sure they're similar. Not quite as high as Denmark, but I'm sure they're pretty close. Yeah, so I started doing Translate CI with Stripe. And I'm sure I'll launch with that just so I can not have to deal with another payment processor. But I've been looking at Paddle, which seems to be more of a Europe-focused payment processor that they will handle like the merchant of record and the VAT taxes and everything just on their own. You don't have to deal with it, which is really nice. That was one of the things that attracted me to Shopify in the first place is they also do similar. Yeah, definitely. The name rings a bell. And I remember this. Is it a German company? I think they're British. I could be wrong though. Ah, okay. And it's probably not the same company, but I remember there was a German company that used to go around and just like fully copy the main US apps. I think there was two brothers or something that did it. So like they build like an exact copy of Stripe and then they'd build an exact copy of something else whenever something got popular in the US and just market it locally and to Europe sort of thing. And they made a giant business out of it, but I just thought I wasn't sure if it's the same one. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you need Translate CI so you can get out in front of those people before they copy your app in their language. <laughs> Yeah, true. <laughs> We're making progress. The existing apps are actually doing really well. I'm back at like end of 2020 levels already, which is quite surprising. Usually it takes a couple more months before we get there. But then on the new app, we've sort of been making progress. And how would you say? We're still exploring. So things are taking longer than what they might do if we were fully into it. But now we've sort of touched on all the different areas and decided how we're going to do everything. And so now it seems to be picking up a lot of pace. It's really cool. Would you say then like you've kind of gotten to a point with AppKit where you're actually able to start working on the actual app now? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So the next thing we're doing is pricing pages. So I've been researching pricing pages and stuff. And just putting up like a pricing page for that particular app would be quite quick. But everything takes like twice as long because we want to then make it more generic. So it will work for any of the apps that we'll be doing in the future and my existing apps and everything else. So things do take a lot longer. You couldn't say that it's just for this app because all the apps will need a pricing page. But once the pricing page is done, then we're into app territory. Nice. That's exciting. So you think you'll probably have at least one app coming out this year? I'll definitely, yeah. I don't want to put any time on it because I'm terrible at estimates. But I'd say months and not years, thankfully. Awesome. When was the last time you released a new app? Good question. I think it was in 2019. New and new, but I completely redid one of my existing apps. So... Yeah, it was the one that went from like free to paid and then it had like one really simple feature and then it went to being more like a full-featured app at the same time. And I think that was in 2019. And that's now my biggest app, which is pretty cool. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It worked out well. Got away from your big news that you're moving to. I keep wanting to call it Holland, but I know I'm supposed to call it the Netherlands, right? <laughs> I get confused too. I actually at one point I had to Google what's the difference between Netherlands and Holland. <laughs> Yeah, right. One's a state and one is the country, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And I think Amsterdam is in Holland, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. 
Yeah. <laughs> so you just want to do something different and enjoy your freedom of being able to work from anywhere? Yeah, yeah. It's a basic idea. I mean, I realized that this business gives you a lot of freedom and might as well take advantage of it. My wife and I usually travel here once or twice a year. We love it. And we kind of want a home base there that we can use to explore more from. That's awesome. Yeah. It's always easier once you're over there, right? I always found that when I like living in Australia, you're generally traveling in Australia because everywhere else is so far away. But as soon as I sort of hopped out of Australia and, and went to Europe, then I went all over the place as well. It's amazing. Yeah, I thought it'd be fun to like be able to do like a weekend trip, whereas now we do like one big trip a year over there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's actually not that bad of a drive between Copenhagen and Amsterdam. I did it recently twice last summer i think it was yeah i actually had to drive home because of the lockdowns were starting in denmark and they're closing the borders and everything so we had to sort of stop what we were doing and take off again it's amazing how far you can get in a car around europe anyway yeah it was crazy like and i think it happened to a lot of people that were traveling when lockdown started like i was in mexico city at the time and just had to i hope i can get back and like i know people that got trapped where they were yeah that must be terrible as well right stuck completely stuck yeah yeah, the guy that helps with my support ended up trapped in a different country for almost a year. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, he was just able to get back just recently, like last month. Oh, wow. That would be horrible. I mean, I'm not sure if he has family and stuff. Like, that would be a really tough situation to be stuck in. Yeah, it was just like his situation was like with the quarantines and he had visa issues because he wasn't living in his home country. So like his visa like expired while he was out of the country, not able to get back. That was a whole thing. I'm glad it's sorted now. Yeah, uh, that's no fun. We're waiting for it to open up so my parents can come over and we can go visit them in Australia and stuff because they're not allowed to travel at all right now, right? So, which is a bit of a bummer. US people still aren't allowed into the EU at all. So, hopefully, I'm hoping, I mean, I don't know, maybe end of summer and starts to open up would be really cool. Yeah, I think all, most of the vaccine programs will be in full swing, at least also in Europe by that time. So, yeah, I can't wait. I had COVID last year and I'm anxious to get a vaccine and prevent that from happening again. It's no fun. Yeah, no, definitely. I can imagine. Yeah, we've been staying low because obviously my wife has a surgery coming up and everything. So we were like, oh, we're not going to see anyone for the last couple of weeks, really. Smart move, yeah. I wanted to pick your brain around pricing pages. So I've been designing the pricing page in Figma and we had a quick chat a couple of weeks back around like how to display yearly pricing in the right way. And I've done some research and things and I've sort of come up with that most places are showing. So you have like a monthly and yearly toggle, I guess you could say at the top of the page. And then you have your different pricing plans and then you have the price per plan in a monthly. So $10 per month, whatever. And if you click on yearly, we say, well, you'll save 20%. If you click yearly, click on that. What I've sort of come down to is that we update the monthly price to show like $8 and then in brackets after it, showing the actual amount that they'll be paying right away. So like, say, it's like $96 a year, you'd write like that. What are your thoughts on yearly pricing and how best to display it and the defaults and things? Because I know some people show like the yearly to begin with, and then you have to switch it to monthly. And I don't like that myself, but I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I definitely prefer to start with the monthly pricing and let me switch to yearly, even though obviously you'd prefer to go with yearly. But I think when you show the yearly pricing, it's a little tricky because I think, at least in my head, I think I'm seeing the monthly pricing. I'm like, oh, now I have to click this toggle and the price just went up quite a bit. 
So I definitely like display monthly first. I think the UX gets tricky on the yearly page just because you almost have to show two prices, like you're saying there, like the monthly price to show they're saving money and then the yearly price, which is what they're actually paying. Yeah, I was struggling a lot with that to begin with. Like, do I then switch it to not showing the monthly and just show a yearly price, but then they don't see how much they're saving? Yeah, what I see some people do that I kind of like is I don't think they necessarily show the monthly price on the yearly page. But they kind of do like, kind of like how Shopify does with their compare at pricing. So they'll show the $96 or whatever, and then just put a nice big save 25% over monthly or something like that. Yeah, so you show the before and after price instead, right? Yeah. The ones I'm used to seeing, I think they usually just show a percentage. But I think anything you can do to prevent someone from having to do math in their head is probably a good thing. That's what I was thinking as well, right? Because then... Oh, $96 a year. What does that work out to be per month then? And they sit there and try and do the math. Yeah. How much of a discount do you give for yearly? The default I've seen around the place seems to be about 20%. And I was just thinking about it today, actually, and just going, well, do I really want to give away? These people are going to be around for a year anyway. But it's a way to sort of reward them, I guess, and also to get some people that are maybe on the fence. But I only ever sign up for yearly plans for stuff I've already been using maybe for a year. I do it to save money, right? Yeah, I do the same. But the only reason I was thinking about this is there's something I used recently. I can't remember what, but their yearly plan was like 40 or 45% off the monthly plan. And like at that point, I was like, I think I'll probably use this for a few months. And at that point, I'm saving money. So I might as well sign up for a year. So I was just thinking like maybe for new customers, like a bigger discount there could make sense. I don't know. Yeah. I guess it depends on your price point for the app, right? And how much you can afford to sort of give away, I guess. Was that the Logo app? Yes, yeah, that's Logo what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you mentioned it, but I didn't know how big the discount was. I guess that's the smart way, right? But that's sort of more of a one-time or I think how many logos do you need, right? <laughs> I have not logged back in there since I paid for the yearly subscription, but maybe I will. But most likely you won't. And I'm sure that's maybe why they give you the 45% discount, right? Because they know that's another calculation you do in your head sort of quite quickly, I think, is how often am I going to be using this? And I think for an app that you're using daily or just like monthly, it makes a lot of sense. But for something where it could have or should maybe be a one-time payment, then I think a big discount makes a lot of sense because you're basically getting more value for the same usage almost, right? And I wonder like, okay, have you had yearly plans before? No. Yeah, I haven't either. And like, I guess my slight worry about them is that I worry I'm going to get customers six months into it that email me and say, hey, you know what? This is cool, but I'm not going to use it anymore. Can I get a refund? And then you're in this situation where it's like, well, they paid for a year. That kind of sucks to be like, I'll give you half your money back. Or do you give more if they're not happy? And it's like, yeah, that kind of worried me. Or it's like now with a monthly plan, I go back a month. Yeah, exactly. I hadn't actually thought about that angle. I was thinking also along the lines of <laughs> I'd have to be more forward thinking in like revenue numbers and things like that, right? Because if you do a big campaign to get everyone onto a yearly plan all of a sudden, then all your revenue is coming in now and not spread out over each month. But that's an interesting challenge as well, I think, where you, you sort of got to think about, yeah, how do you handle people that don't keep it for the full year? But I think there maybe you just have to have like a, if it's gone more than like three months or something and you have to... Maybe say, I can give you something, but not at all. Just pay for what you've used sort of thing. That's part of the deal that they get the discount, I think. 
Yeah, because it's tricky. Like the reason you want to get them on a year and you're giving them the discount is so they're locked in. And if they're not locked in, then you're kind of losing the benefit there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's the whole point of it, right? But actually, one of the reasons I've just upgraded today all of my apps to the latest Shopify API versions. One of my apps had to be upgraded this month, otherwise it would have been unlisted by the end of the month because it had to bump up at least one version. But the other three I just did at the same time because it proved much simpler than I thought it was going to be. But one of the reasons that I wanted to do it and not just had to do it was because of this yearly subscriptions supported on a more recent version. So yeah, that was one of the things I wanted to start playing with. Also looking at doing more like tiered pricing, whereas at the moment my two recurring apps have a single pricing plan. So starting to offer multiple plans and then doing the yearly pricing as well. But I might wait with implementing those until we've done the new pricing page in AppKit. So I can't use that code itself or like I can't use AppKit on my existing apps yet, but at least I'll we've just gone through the whole process of thinking about and designing and implementing it in AppKit. So then I'll be able to use those same sort of, I would say, architecture and thoughts for doing this in my existing apps before I can migrate them over. You're on the GraphQL API, right? Not if I can avoid it. (laughs) (laughs) I generally stick to REST, but that's because most of my apps are based around the orders object. And the orders are super hard to, if you want the entire order object with all the line items and everything else, it's a lot of data you need to pull at one time. And the GraphQL just hits its limit way too quickly if you want to grab uh, lots of orders there. So I think for me, at least GraphQL has been great for where I need to get one object and just work with that one. But if I want to grab like 50 orders or something like that at once, then GraphQL just can't do it. Yeah, I've been playing with that GraphQL a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Just because after I found that translation API on Shopify, I decided to spend a couple hours digging into it and seeing if Translate CI would work well with that. And it does, but yeah, so maybe at some point, once things are a little calmer, I can look into that. I've got a bunch of code I can share with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, surprisingly, what I wrote for Translate CI, because I was smart in the way I developed it, really translated well to like a Shopify app, because basically it's just an adapter into the existing code base. So something to think about. But yeah, the GraphQL API was interesting. Once I kind of wrapped my head around it, I really liked it. But you're right, like the limits there are kind of tough to work with. But the reason I asked that was because I thought that the REST API didn't do yearly plans. Yeah, so it doesn't. But the nice part, at least with the Ruby package for the Shopify API, is the same package does both. So you can choose if you want to use the GraphQL API or the REST API. They're both there available to you at the same time. So you can do half of your calls in REST and the other half in GraphQL if you wanted to. Thanks. Yeah, I've need A-B testing is exclusively the REST API. And one of the reasons I never did yearly plans there was because I had to write my own Shopify client for that. They didn't have one available for PHP and there weren't any open source ones at the time. So switching to GraphQL is like a nightmare I do not want to deal with. Yeah, I can understand that. And also, like you say, it takes a while to get your head around it. GraphQL, I think. It's a different way to work with data or to ask for data and to get it back. And I'm not sort of hating on it or anything like that. I I can definitely see how it's super useful for the front end of an app in a sense, like simple pages where you're displaying in order details. That's perfect. You can show that one order and exactly the details you need. But then if you want to show a big long list of orders or something like that, it becomes maybe not even a list, but anything more detailed. And the problem for me is like an invoice. It has 
I need a bunch of data from, I need the transactions, I need every line item, not just some of them. I can't just show the first 10 items on an order. I need to show all of the items, right? Yeah, the transactions and just all the different fields, created updates and payment methods and everything else. So it's just too much data to be able to do it that way. Yeah, it's actually, I was really happy with the way they structured their translation API. Super weird. They basically have 15 types of translations. Each represents like a section of your store. So like products, theme, whatever. And the entire, like for example, like the online store theme counts as one node. So you get like a thousand per second or whatever. And you can grab every single translation for their store theme with one out of a thousand requests, which is awesome. But yeah, I know like ordering each order is a node, each line item is a node, and it gets really complicated fast. Yeah, that surprised me as well when I was working at it. Like, I was like, why is the theme one so slow? And then, oh, it's because it gives you everything at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas the other ones, you go, oh, give me this product. But you say, hey, give me this theme. It gives you everything in that theme, which is kind of cool at the same time. That is nice. Yeah, I'll be honest. I could not figure out the pagination cursor stuff in that API at all. Too dumb for it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, the pagination. I went through that one when the REST API went to cursor-based as well. So that sort of helped me understand how it works, I guess. But yeah, it's definitely different. The translations API, you can translate all of the email templates in Shopify, the email notification templates and the SMS templates. But there's no API for the actual default language version. So I can create an update, let's say a, a translated version in German, but I can't actually update the original record via any API. Right, yeah, yeah. That is a little confusing. Yeah, just I'm hoping one day Shopify gives me that API because there's like 32 different emails in Shopify now and you've got to go through them one at a time to update them manually. But yeah, so GraphQL, yeah, I want to use it for the subscription stuff and move into like yearly planning. And I guess the feeling with Shopify is that they are slowly migrating everything off REST or at least making the REST version less attractive right over time so that GraphQL becomes the default, I guess you could say. And I have to embrace it at some point. So I think for the new apps, unless there's a really good use case or a reason why I can't use GraphQL, we'll use GraphQL. And only in cases where like grabbing all these order data or whatever, then we may have to resort to like using a REST API. But at least for the first app that we're building, that shouldn't be an issue because we're generally working with one object at a time, nothing sort of bulk. Which makes me think of bulk with translations. Have you tried out the bulk API on that? No, I don't think I've seen that one yet. That is, is amazing. That? Yeah, like if you want to do any type of translation, at least to read it all out, or if you want to do any kind of export or anything like that, definitely you look at the bulk API. Because you can just basically pass it a query and say, hey, give me this for everything. And then you just get back a, it's called a JSONP file, I think it is. Yeah, and it's basically just a JSON file, but each line in the file is a separate record. So you know if you step through that file one line at a time, you're getting a new record each time. And at least in Ruby, there's a really efficient way of reading a, like really large files one line at a time. So you don't have to load the entire file into memory first and then process it. You can just sort of open a stream from the file and then read one line at a time and and with the way these files are structured, one line is one, like whatever query you gave it, it'll give you one of the root nodes or whatever. Yeah, that sounds definitely useful. I'll have to check that out. I was using that to do like CSV exports of all the translations and stuff. And that was amazing. Like you get the entire thing in a few seconds sort of thing. Or you just poll it until it tells it's ready and then you get a URL to grab it from. It was amazing fast. 
I've only gotten about three or four hours looking into this, but it gives me hope. I mean, I was really happy, like, because I think I mentioned before, like, I'm trying to write better code for Translate CI than I have done for past things. And so I was, like, pretty happy within just a couple of hours to sort of write the Shopify adapter. I am able to translate a full store and, like, make the order for a human translator and all that. So we'll see. It gives me hope. But I want to get the main thing out for developers first. <laughs> that was just my little experiment. I think that makes sense, like one thing at a time. And maybe also try it outside of Shopify instead of falling back. <laughs> Give yourself a true shot. And not that being within Shopify is a bad thing. It's just that was your original plan, right? Yeah, I know. And it's so funny, like just thinking about this. I'm like, oh, it's so attractive to just be on the Shopify app store. And yeah, you're right. I'm holding off a little bit on it. It's funny, the Shopify app store, a couple of weeks back, I guess I talked about how my ads had been stopped because of this new payment method in Europe, it's called 3D Secure, where your credit card, you have to do like a two-factor authentication on your credit cards. And the Shopify ads weren't correctly linking over to that. So they basically just got paused and you can't pay for them. But now we've got that sorted out. But now every sort of third day or something, it stops again because it says, oh, the 3D Secure failed, so I have to manually click a button and then do this two-factor authentication, then it works, it pays, and then they re-enable, right? So every third day, I have to go in and redo this process. But then, yeah, if I leave it for like a couple of days, then I can actually see a difference in uptake now, which is quite interesting. So I'm not sure if my thoughts around, oh, it doesn't make any difference, are correct or not. But now at least for the last couple of weeks, if I haven't re-enabled them right away, I can see a dip in like installs for that day. It's funny you say that because I actually paused my ads last week. I had to do it for other stuff and I haven't had a chance to check back in, but now I'm curious if there's a dip there or not. Yeah. And maybe it's like the last, if the app store is having like a slow month or whatever, it sort of ebbs and flows, right? But if we're on the downturn of one of these sort of ebbs, and my ads aren't running, then I feel it, right? But if it's on the way up and the ads aren't running, then I don't feel it because there's enough new stuff coming in. So maybe it's like picking up the slack for the quieter months, I guess, or quieter weeks, maybe. But I really wish we could do some proper attribution so we could actually say, right, Uh, (laughs) these are the actual numbers, yeah. But we don't want to just sit here complaining. No. (laughs) 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 No, no. But I thought that was quite interesting, yeah. I think I need to think about my targeting in the ads. This has always been my issue since day one is like, I'm for ads existed is like, if someone wants to do A-B testing, like they'll find need A-B testing, which is awesome. But if they don't know they need A-B testing, it gets a little more complicated. They know they just want to optimize their shop and they're not sure how to go about it. I've experimented a few times with sort of expanding my ads to hit more of those like conversion rate optimization keywords and they haven't done particularly well. I've never quite figured out how to bridge that gap between optimization to A-B testing. Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, how do you find the words that you should be targeting, I guess, that also resonates with people once they see the ad? Yeah, yeah, that's tough. I've never quite cracked that one. No, I'm sure there's some great like keyword planners. I know Google has one, but that seems to be like the default. I wonder if there's something else out there. I've heard Moz mentioned in these types of things, but I've never really used it. If anyone out there knows, then please hit me up on Twitter and say, hey, this is the tool you should use because it will help you. And actually, maybe I already have the tool. Shopify App Analytics by Daniel Sim. I believe he has a keyword planner in there, or at least... 
it's for the Shopify app listing. So it has like an app listing optimization tool where I think you can say, right, I'm interested in knowing how I rank for this particular keyword. But it's not really keyword discovery then, it's the other way around. I think once you know the keywords that you want to target, then you can use that and it'll tell you how you're ranking like organically as well. Yeah, Shopify used to provide that information where you could get keyword traffic levels, but that has disappeared. And actually, because it used to be in when you made the app listing, you could target a couple of keywords. And that box essentially was an autocomplete. And so you could see all the options and they had some basic like rankings there. And that was super helpful, but that's been long gone. So yeah, I'm not sure how to do it. It would have been super helpful for the ad still to be able to just even just read through that list manually and pick out some good keywords. I remember last time, and I'm not sure if it's there now, but in the ads itself, you can have like suggestions where it suggests keywords to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have played with that a little bit. Yeah, but I'm not sure how. I think it just sort of suggests things that your pages have been hit with at times or how people have found you. I'm not sure. But yeah, I'm still on the hunt for a good way to sort of you know, what are some good keywords for these areas? And yeah, how to think about keywords. Maybe it's just a good tutorial article to say, hey, this is how we've done it and how I'd suggest doing it sort of thing. Yeah, that'd be nice. Hey, speaking of Shopify tools, I don't know if you saw this, but they added a really cool feature to the app, like the internal admin partner app page this week where they list your webhook fails and you can click into that to get details. Ah, uh, yeah. Sorry, it tweeted somewhere. Yeah. yeah, it's really cool. I do about... 11 or 12 million webhooks handled a week. And yeah, and there wasn't really a great way to see if I was getting fails or not. So this is like my favorite new tool, just to click through that and see what's going on. Yeah. Uh, That's cool. I think that'll prove more useful to me in the future. I generally just use the shop uninstalled webhook at the moment. That one's quite easy. There's not much to sort of, I just need to mark them as uninstalled. But I think it will make a lot of sense to some of the newer apps I'm building. Yeah, because for metrics, I just have to process so many webhooks and like it's always a keep you up late at night type thing, wondering if they're all being processed good. It's nice to be able to see that, yeah, they are, but if there's fails, I can go in and actually check those out, which is great. Yeah, and I think tools like that really help a lot of people, right? They've been killing it with like the tools. They've given us the API for the Shopify partner API now. This has come out. And then also, I saw that they just put up an article on the partner blog sort of rounding up the community-driven projects around the Shopify API and building Shopify apps as well, where they mentioned like the Laravel package. There's one there for Elixir. Yeah, and a few different ones. But it was cool to see that they're sort of, it feels like, yeah, a new year, new effort sort of thing, which is nice. Yeah, and that's one thing I've always like appreciated about them. They, just, they do put a ton of effort into supporting us app devs, which is really nice. Yeah, and then we sit on podcasting and complain. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, we say it with love and constructive criticism. That's all. <laughs> yeah, so I don't have tons more to share this week. I've been reading an interesting book, actually, if you want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, it's called Essentialism. And I haven't finished it yet, but I think the overall sort of concept is to try to do less, but to do more of the right things. So prioritization, I think, is like the overall arching focus on what's essential and not just busy work sort of thing, which has been quite good. It brings back my favorite development book of all time is Getting Real by the Basecamp team, right? I've mentioned it before. One of the big sort of points in that 
is also around like keep the main thing the main thing and keep it simple. And this book, it sort of goes into more, it's not based around development or anything like that. It's kind of focused on business and work and but life in general, I think. I think it's a good reminder sometimes just to try and keep things simple instead of trying to overcomplicate everything or trying to prioritize everything when you can't have a priority list of five things. Then it's not a priority list. Yeah, it should be like one thing. And then after that, you might have a new priority. But the priority right now is this one thing, right? But it's, yeah, I'm enjoying that. That sounds cool. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like especially important for bootstrappers like us that don't have the resources. It's always like a tricky thing is to figure out what is the one thing I need to be working on. Because like, yeah, you can only do one thing at a time and you can't just assign the other five things to someone because you don't have anyone to assign them to. So yeah, figuring that out, I think is a big part of doing this successfully. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's maybe, we started out talking about burnout and things like that. And I think one of the reasons that I have felt more burnt out is because I've been sort of running in all directions at the same time and not taking the time to sit down and go, right, what should I focus on? And I think part of that is having four apps that you're trying to run at the same time and all of them being semi-successful at the same time. So you can't just focus on one of them sort of thing. Yeah, it's been interesting. But I think definitely having this team that's starting to form around me and everything, Arjun's been excellent and I'm having a lot of fun working with him as well. And so I think focusing on getting better at giving stuff to other people because I just can't do it all myself. And my job is now becoming more and more to prioritize, right? And to focus on the big picture, which has been harder to do when I've been in the war myself, in the trenches, I guess is a better word. Yeah, for sure. There's a lot. It's weird to sort of extract yourself from being in the trenches. That's one thing I have in particular struggled with is you have to fight that impulse, especially when you have a team around you. To just be like, ah, it'll be quicker for me to do it myself than to explain how to do it or whatever. And you forget that you're going to have to do this every week for the next however many years. And really, it's much better to just take the hour to explain it to someone. Yeah, all that stuff is difficult. Yeah, definitely. And I think you're totally right about like sometimes, or in the past at least, I've always felt like, well, I might as well just do it myself, right? Or I could have hired somebody to help me in the past as well, but I think I felt I wanted to do it before. And now being a bit more burnt out, it's much easier for me as well just to hand it off and go, hey, can you please do this for me? (laughs) Or it feels nice to be able to do a to-do instead of sitting down to do it myself. Even this podcast is a good example. So when we started, I was editing it poorly myself and spending way too much time on it. Yeah, (laughs) But we got a guy to edit it that he does it in less than half the time it was taking me and much better. So, you know. Yeah. It's not one more thing on your plate. Yeah. Yeah. It started to get a little overwhelming. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's an excellent example, actually. Let's leave it there. And yeah, I'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Enjoy. Yeah. Talk to you then.